And this is the first time I've been here since these uh, Christmas decorations have been up. I just think they look amazing. Um, so well done to, I don't know if Tim and Izzy are here today, but I know there's other people being involved as well. But just well done to those people who've been involved in this. Just think it looks great. It looked fantastic this afternoon as well. Um, we're going to look at the Bible now. And if you have got a Bible, you may want to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible, there are some already being handed out. But just put your hand up and, uh, <laughs> and you can have one delivered to you where you sit. So Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read a passage that last time I preached, we, um, we read and I preached on, but I just feel I want to um, expand a little bit more on this. Uh, so we're going to read from verse 17 through to 20. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, do not come, <laughs> no he didn't say that at all, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Last time I preached, I, un- I unpacked quite a lot of what uh, Jesus was meaning there. It seems to be a bit confusing. Um, and if you uh, are confused by this and you didn't hear what I preached last time, then you can uh, listen to that on the, um, download it from iTunes or listen to it on our website. Um, but very briefly, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Um, well, what was it that Jesus has come to do, well, I guess at the, at the moment, at Christmas time, we hear lots about what Jesus came for. The angel, uh, the angels that come to announce Jesus' birth to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, they say what he's come to do, because uh, the angel says in chapter 2, verse 10, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So Jesus has come to bring us the good news. It's the gospel. The word is the gospel. Um, and uh, that's fantastic. Jesus has been born to bring us the gospel. So why is the good news not that he's come to abolish the law and the prophets? You know, you could think, well, that would be good news if he'd come to abolish all these laws and regulations and rules. Um, the reason being, because in Romans 3.20, um, it says the law makes us conscious of sin. If we didn't have the law then we would actually just think that we could live lives however we wanted to live and God would just love us anyway. We could just do whatever we wanted. So the law, its main purpose is to, is to bring us a consciousness that we are sinners, that we're not able to meet God's standards um, and we need to change. The gospel comes in the, in the form of Jesus uh, to show that that change can happen. That change can happen through Jesus' goodness, through Jesus' righteousness and not of our own. So the point that we need to change is agreed to by many different religious groups. Um, But Jesus doesn't say that religion is the answer. And that's partly what is behind what he says in verse 20. 
He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your goodness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were the religious people of the day. They were the people who everyone maybe would have looked up to in religious terms as good people. And I guess up until now, as Jesus is, is saying these things, the Pharisees are kind of nodding in agreement. Yeah, that's right. It's, the, the, the law shouldn't be abolished. Um, but then he says, unless your righteousness, unless your goodness is greater than the Pharisees, is greater than the teachers of the law, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That will have thrown them a bit. They try to win favor with God by obeying the rules, by keeping the law. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's got to be greater than that. We've got to see that there's a huge difference between the gospel and religion. And many people, most people, I would say, outside the church, confuse the two. They think that Christianity, being a Christian, is about being religious. And they say, oh, I just don't, I just don't get religion, I don't like religion. But there's a huge difference between Christianity, between the gospel and religion. And I think many people in the church as well confuse the two. But the differences are enormous. And I want to spend a bit of time this morning just spelling out some of those differences between the gospel and religion. Firstly, religion tells us that there are good people and bad people. There are good people who live their lives in the right way. And there are bad people who don't. The gospel tells us everyone's bad. The gospel tells us everyone's bad. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is bad. You know those old westerns where um, you'd get the, the good guys and the bad guys, the, the cowboys. And, uh, and the good guys all wore the white hats, didn't they? And the bad guys wore the black hats. And you, you could always tell when you're watching a western who the good guys were and who the bad guys were. Well, if we were in a western, we'd all be wearing black hats. We'd all be the bad guys. The only one wearing the white hat would be Jesus. He's the only one who is good. That's what the gospel tells us. But religion says there are good people and bad people. The Pharisees, they just didn't understand it. They thought they were the good people. They thought they were the good guys. But they killed Jesus. They were the ones who killed Jesus. And religious people tend to conveniently forget that. That it was religious people who killed the Son of God. Secondly, religion has a tick list of things which will make you a good person. A bit like one of these star charts. This is a star chart that was given to my daughter this week by, her, by my mum, by her grandmother. I'm not a huge fan of star charts, but uh, this was, this was a, a present to her. <laughs> By the way, my mum's here today, this afternoon at the carol service, so don't mention that. I <laughs> if you see her. Oh, here you go. No. <laughs> but it's a bit like this. Religion tells us that God will love us if we stop doing certain things and start doing other things. So, 
okay, on this star chart, it says things like tidying my room, doing my homework, being polite, cleaning my teeth, being helpful, um, you know, being a good girl. Um, but a religious star chart may, may say things like um, stop drinking, stop smoking, reading the Bible, praying every day, coming to church on a Sunday, um, attending core group, going to the prayer meeting. If we do all those things, if we get, we can get our little sticker, you know, here we are, uh, brilliant. We've been to the prayer meeting. Let's stick that on uh, next to being the prayer meeting. Friday, there we go. Okay. Oh, I didn't make core group this week. Uh, let's have a look. Try harder. Try harder. Stick that one on. You know, and we, we can kind of almost come up with our mental little star chart. And then at the end, we think, well, how have we done? How have we done on these things? We've got some ticks. Oh, but we've got some, there's some crosses here. Let's put one of these on. We've got a cross there because, um, because we, uh, we had a fag. <laughs> so, so I'll put a cross against that because I wanted to try harder not to smoke. Oh, this isn't me, by the way. <laughs> it's not confession time. <laughs> um, but we can look at it and think, oh, no, we've, we've not done too well this week. You know, if we're religious, we'll think that this affects how God loves us. And actually, a lot of these rules are not things that are even in, in the Bible anyway, because as we said last time, religious people love to invent rules that the Bible doesn't have. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that these things aren't good for you. It doesn't mean that they're not good to do. It doesn't mean, you know, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not, it's not good to read the Bible. Of course it's good to read the Bible. Of course it's good if you, if you know God to pray to him and to talk to him. Of course if you, um, if you smoke excessively, that will damage your body. But it, those things don't um, get you any brownie points with God. They don't earn you favour with God. They don't earn you favour with us as elders, as leaders of the church. And... Don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we don't have any rules at all um, in, in church. You know, with children, we still have house rules, but they're not used to earn our favour. Um, we've got rules here. Um, for, for example, we've got rules about um, eating and drinking up in this, in this auditorium. It's just to look after the furniture. So we say, you know, please don't have food and drink up here. That's going to damage things. But that, that's not earning you favour with God. It's not earning you favour with us. Well, it might earn you favour with Arnold, but it doesn't, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it, it's not there to earn favour. It's just the kind of, well, we're looking after things. But religion tells us that we earn favour with God by doing those things. It's like me giving this star chart to my daughter and saying, well, look, if you do all of these things on here, I will love you. But if you don't do those things, then I won't love you. Your love is dependent on how well you perform. That's what religion says. God's love for us depends on how well we perform. It's horrible. Because the gospel tells us that our Father loves us. Our Heavenly Father loves us. He won't love us any more or any less dependent on what we do. He won't love us any more if we're really good and get all ticks, he won't love us any less if we have must try harder. He loves us the same all the time. That's what we tell our children, isn't it? I hope if you've got children, you tell them the same thing. It doesn't mean that you don't care about their sin, but it doesn't affect your love for them. We tell our children when we put them to bed, you know, I love you when you're good, 
I love you when you're naughty. I love you all the time. Because that's what they need to know. Our love for them isn't dependent on how well they perform. It doesn't mean we don't care, but it means we don't love them any more or any less. When, Christian, when people say, oh, you Christians, you, you know better than anyone else, are you? Then we say, no, we're not. We know better than anyone else. We're not saying we're better than anyone else. We can be humble about that, but yet we can be confident. We can be confident, but not in ourselves, but in Jesus. We can be confident that God loves me. We can be confident that God knows me. My sins are forgiven. My salvation is assured. That Jesus is my mediator my, my, uh, between, between me and God. He will never leave me or forsake me. You know, I used to think that Christians were so arrogant when they said they were confident about their eternal destiny. They were confident that they were going to be with God for eternity. I used to think, how can you say that? That's so arrogant. Are you saying you are good enough for God? I didn't understand that they weren't saying that at all. No, of course we're not good enough for God. Jesus is good enough for God. And he gives us that righteousness when, when, we, when we turn to him, when we ask for mercy. And he clothes us with his righteousness. And he's good enough for God. We're acceptable to God because Jesus is. And we're clothed in him. Next, religion gets us to look at others and say, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm, much be- I'm doing much better than they're doing. And we can find some little way that we look at people and say, well, I'm doing better than they're doing. They're, they're not very self-controlled, are they? How can, look at that that they've done. No self-control at all there. Jesus confronted this with the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. Let's read it. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, religious people, their own goodness, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the religious people. And the other, a tax collector, despised by people because they were cheating people out of their money. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Interesting, religious people like to pray about themselves. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Full of his own self-importance. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified, went home right before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this story where, where someone who's religious, who thinks they're good, who thinks they've got favor with God, who's sort of boasting about their own achievements, God's saying, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm not going to make you right with me, because you're just full of your own goodness. It's only the man who was the tax collector who knew he was a sinner who was made right before God. Both of them were sinners. Both of them were sinners. 
But only one realized it. Only one realized it. And forgiveness came to the one who repented and asked for mercy. You know, if you're a sinner here, if you're someone, which is everyone basically, before they know God, sinners need to repent of their sin. But we need to also say to religious people, you need to repent of your religion. You need to repent of your religion. You need to repent of your pride. There are people maybe here today who don't know God. And the Bible tells you, you are a sinner. You're no different to anyone else, but you are a sinner. And you need to repent of your sin to be made right before God. But you know, there'll be people in here as well who are religious. You are religious. And you need to repent of your religion to be made right before God. Religious people, they're not happy people. They're not happy people because religious, religion is all about performance. It's all about how well you do. So you're either proud or you're in despair. You're either thinking you're doing pretty well and so you get full of yourself. You think, I'm doing all right. I've had a good week today. God's face is shining on me. He's blessing me he's, he's, because I've had a good week. I've read my Bible every day. I've prayed every day. Pride. Pride. And God hates pride. God hates pride. Satan was cast out of heaven because he was an angel who was full of pride. God hates it. So if we're proud, we're not, we're not going to be winning any favours with God. He hates it. So we're either proud or we're in despair. Oh, no. Oh, it's terrible. I've not prayed for a week. I've not prayed for a week. I can't remember the last time I read my Bible. In fact, I think the last time I read my Bible, I fell asleep. Oh, despair. Terrible. Oh, nothing's going to go right today. Oh, God's not going to bless me today. Oh, do you know, I was, I was going to invite my friend to the carol service. But they're not going to come. Because God's, God's not, ang- not pleased with me. He's not going to let my friend come because of that. I've messed it all up. It's all my fault. They're not going to be saved. And it's all my fault. Despair. Religion leads to pride or despair. Never joy. Never happiness. Jesus has been talking about people who are happy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are merciful. Happy. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be full of joy. But religion will never get us there. People who say, oh, I've tried Christianity. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. They've not tried They've not really seen what Christianity is about. They've tried religion. They've seen something in the name of Christianity, which is religion. And they've been told, you have to do this, 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 and this, and God will be pleased with you. Even if, they don't, even if people aren't told explicitly. That's the message that comes. Oh, you're saved now. Oh, you've got, oh, not even saved. You've come, forward, you've come forward in a meeting. Fantastic. Praise God. Now, here's a Bible you need to read a chapter a day, and you must pray, and make sure you're here uh, on a Sunday, and make sure you go to core group, and it'd be great if you could come to the prayer meeting as well. And so they're putting all this baggage, 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 baggage on people. Oh, 
And people try it in their own strength. Oh, 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 that's what you've got to do, is it then? Okay, I'll try it. They try it for a while. It's too much. Oh, it's too much. Can't do it. Can't do it. Doesn't work. They've tried religion. They've not seen what the gospel is about. They've not seen that the gospel is about joy. The Apostle Paul hated religion too. He'd come to see just how worthless it was. He was a man who was into it. He was religious before he met Jesus. There's many people who are religious before they meet Jesus. Churches across the country are full of religious people who just haven't met Jesus yet. Paul was one of those people who was religious before he met Jesus. And then he had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And everything changed. And he saw just how horrible religion was. And so most of it, a lot of his letters are talking to Christians and people who know God and say, don't get back into religion. You started off doing so well in the grace of God. And now there's other people who are trying to put religion on you. Because religious people don't just keep it to themselves, you know. They put it on other people. They love other people to have it as well. Because they're miserable and they want everyone to be miserable. So they put it on other people. Paul's going, don't do it. Don't get into it. In Philippians chapter 3, he calls the, the people who do that, he calls them dogs. Watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil. Those mutilators of the flesh. These are religious people who are saying, you must be circumcised. They're dogs. In Paul's eyes. He's not being polite about it. He's not, be, he's not saying, just, just be careful about religion. They're dogs. Watch out for them. He goes on to say, he says, look, if it's about boasting and keeping the rules and looking impressive, he's got more reasons to be proud than anyone. He says in verse 4, if anyone thinks he's reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in, in human activity, in human achievement, I've got more. I, was, I got it all right, circumcised on the eighth day. You know, got circ- religion. People say, oh, I've been baptized. I've been christened as a, as a child. I'm okay with God. No, you're not. It's religion. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he was born into the right family. He was brought up well. Have you been brought up well? It's great if you've come to know God. It's worthless if you haven't. Worthless religion. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, Doing things by the book, faultless. But then he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake, I've lost all things. He goes, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. All of those things that he thought were so amazing before, that made him so great, that made him right with God, he now says they are rubbish. In fact, he says more than that. Because this, this is our nice, polite Bible. And we've not got a nice, polite translation that translates that word rubbish. But that's not the word that Paul used. That's not the word that Paul Other people may have translated it um, um, I've lost my notes now because I've gone way ahead. Um, other translations have said things like manure or dung. It's still quite polite, isn't it? 
I can't even say, probably, because there are children, although there would have been children there when, when this letter had been written out. But I'm not going to. I can't even... The word that Paul was using is, is, is the one that begins with S and ends in T. All right? That's, that's pretty much what Paul was saying. He was being strong. It would have caused a shock to people. As in the church, this is being read out. It would have especially caused a shock to religious people. So why did Paul use it? I'll tell you why Paul used it. Because it showed the strength of his feeling about religion. He wanted to use as strong a word as he could. He wasn't using the word manure. He wanted to be really strong. Not just to shock people for the sake of it. But he wanted them to understand how horrible it was. He actually wanted to help people understand that it wasn't something to tolerate. And and really to graphically show that this is all that fleshly religion can produce. That is the end result. A great big pile of dog mess. That's all that religion is going to produce. He was well aware that religion can infiltrate its way into the church. And he was passionate that the church that he had, had worked so hard to found and to, and to root and establish, he didn't want religion creeping in. And you know, we have to be just as guarded about religion here as well. We don't want religion creeping into our church because it's like a yeast and it spreads through everyone because religious people pile guilt on others who end up feeling bad, who end up feeling like they're failures. And God doesn't tell us that. There's lots of ways to spot religious people in the church. Lots of ways to spot religious people in the church. Often it's by their response to something. I'll give you a couple of examples. There's many more. Here's two examples. I wasn't here last week in the morning. Arnold preached, and um, I understand that at some point during his message, he mentioned something about people um, on Facebook updating their statuses and saying, um, you know, it, you see, I wasn't here, so I didn't hear it. I don't know exactly how I said it, but probably saying something about, you know, actually, why are people so obsessed with putting status updates about food? All right? Because it's just, it's just focusing on kind of worldly things all the time. Was that pretty much where you, what you were saying? Okay, because I, I wasn't here. Okay, because what I've seen is, is the comments on Facebook afterwards. I, so I haven't, I haven't heard that. I thought... Rory here, he's not religious, because Rory went home and he put, I can't, think of anyth- I can't remember anything that was said uh, this morning, but I've just had a fantastic roast pork dinner. <laughs> now, actually, I didn't, I didn't get that at the time, because I'd not heard the message. I was like, really, Rory? That's strange. <laughs> it was actually quite witty. There's other people, though. Uh, okay, maybe, maybe it's tongue-in-cheek, so don't, don't feel condemned by this. But there's a kind of general theme of, oh, now we're not allowed to put anything on Facebook about food. We're not allowed to. What's that mean? We're not allowed. Suddenly, there's a rule. Now, this hasn't come from Arnold, let me, let me point out. This is, this is not what Arnold was, was have been saying. 
But suddenly, in people's minds, in, in people who, who have a tendency maybe towards religion, there is now a rule. I mustn't put anything on Facebook about food. So I was reading this thinking, what? what? What's been said? It's religion. Turn something which is a kind of provocation. Oh, yeah, actually, maybe I, maybe I am slipping into worldly values sometimes. Maybe there's a tendency just to get uh, drawn into things that the world are into. So a challenge in God that the Spirit can, can, can help us with. But religious people take it as a rule. Oh, there's another rule. We're not allowed, we're not allowed to do that. Okay, another one. The commitment evening. The commitment evening. This is coming up in February. Let me fill a bit of background in, because maybe some people don't even understand about the commitment evening. So just excuse me while I do this. Every year, we have a special evening, normally in January or February. We call it a commitment evening. It's for those people who've been a member of the church with us. It's a chance for them to come and reaffirm the commitment to us as a church body, but also to the three of us as elders of the church and to all that God has called us to together for the coming year. It's a fantastic occasion. It's great to look back at all the things that God has done and it's great to look forward to all that we feel God is leading us into in the next year. And at the end of the commitment evening, we encourage everyone to come who's a member to just be part of it. And at the end of it, we say, look, this is, this, this is kind of our church membership for the for the, for the next year. It's kind of a revision of our church membership. So that, we, so that the church members are those who are able to give themselves to where we are going and to us as a, as a people and us as leaders in the coming year. Because that's what membership's about, really. Membership's not about just getting your name on a list of people. Um, you know, I've been to churches um, where you, you've got a list of members and you, you don't know who half of them are because you never see them at all. Um, and I guess, sadly, over time, some people can lose their passion for God or what we're about as a church. They can become a bit cynical, disaffected. Um, and as elders, of course, we don't want that to happen. We pray for everyone in the church. We take seriously our responsibility to shepherd them in the ways of God. But the reality is that um, sometimes there are just those who, who just aren't in a place where they feel they can give themselves fully to us as leaders and be fully committed to the church. And, and in, in one sense... That's really sad, and we would want to pray that's different. In another sense, that's fine. It's just recognizing where you are. We're a community that is on a, a mission to reach the community, and we don't want people to just be a member for the sake of it. Or, you know, there's no such thing as an inactive member of the church. Um, membership is those who've, who've given themselves to something. Anyway, so the commitment evening is a chance to reaffirm that commitment to this, and a chance for others to take stock and recognize that maybe they aren't at that point where they're actively with us. Um, although, obviously, no one's going to stop those people coming to our meetings or anything like that. So far, so good. We do recognize that not everyone can make it to this evening for a number of reasons. Maybe their work, rotors, and commitments mean that they can't come to that meeting. Maybe they're ill. Uh, maybe they've just given birth or something like that. Uh, anyway, there might be a number of different reasons. Although by the very nature of the evening, uh, being a commitment evening and wanting to give yourself, we, you know, those who are committed will want to make every possible effort to be there. For others, though, we say, who can't be there, we say, look, you can express your commitment to the church and to us by letter or by email. So this is where it gets interesting for, for the three of us who see these. Because where religion comes in is people take 
this celebration, this great evening in the life of the church, where we can celebrate the privilege that God's given us uh, and saved us into a people where we can join together in a, in a, in a loving kingdom community. Um, and they turn it into a rule about having to be at the meeting. So religious people say, oh, this is meeting, we've got to be at the meeting. Or they have to write a letter. We have to write a letter to stay on the membership list, to get our name into the church phone directory next year. All right? So, so, the, so people write letters to us or emails. And you can tell whether a person is religious by the type of letter that they write. Okay. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. And I've, changed, I've slightly changed them only so that it's not obvious who's written these, okay, because I don't want people to be. Um, But this is pretty much what was written, okay, two letters. The first one um, was received a week after the commitment evening. So the commitment evening had happened, and this is a week later. Someone sent this email, I think it was an email, and they sent this. Oh, someone just reminded me I had to send you a letter. I've been meaning to get around to sending a message, I'm still committed to CCS, just totally forgot. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, oh, great. That's encouraging. <laughs> so kind of, oh, someone just told me I had to send a letter. Oh, no, my name's going to be knocked off the list. Oh, and, I, and I just totally forgot about it. So there's, there's religion coming into that. Contrast that with this one, which was received on the day of the commitment evening. On the day, earlier on in the day. We just wanted to say what a wonderful year we've had being part of City Church this past year. It's been so exciting and thrilling to be part of a loving family with godly leadership. We were initially excited, uh, so excited about the congregation in Shycliffe, but I can remember feeling sad at first that it was happening at the same time as I, as I was starting an intensive university course. I just felt I wouldn't be able to participate fully due to the demands on my time from my work. I felt like I'd miss out and not be able to contribute. I can remember someone praying for me at the family night when the news was announced and saying that the above would not be the case. And it certainly isn't the case. By the way, they're not even part of the North Congregation. They're part of the Central Congregation. But they're concerned that they're not going to be fully part of everything that's happening. We feel so blessed about all that we've been involved with over the last year. We absolutely love being involved in our core group. It's such a privilege to spend time with and support others in the group week in and out. It's been good to see their relationships with God develop and watch and they, as they step out in faith with increased confidence. They're such a benefit to us and we always feel refreshed and excited about all that God is doing when we've spent time with them. We're excited about all the next year will hold and wanted to send you this email to personally express our commitment to the three of you and to City Church, even though we will be attending this evening. Thank you for your godly and sacrificial leadership over the past year. Thank you for leading us in listening to God, hearing him and moving forward in making godly decisions and changes. We love being part of City Church and we dearly love the three of you and respect, admire and look up to you. Thank you for all you do for us. Our lives are rich as a result of the teaching that you bring through preaching and through the way you live your lives. You see the difference? You see the difference in the two letters? One person forgets that they have to write. Others are going to be there, but they want to write and express it as well. The first has got religion. 
The second has got the gospel. The second has got the good news. And do you know what religious people will be thinking now, after I've just read that? Religious people will be thinking, oh, and now the elders are telling us we don't just have to write a letter, we've got to write a long gushing letter. (laughs) Telling them how amazing they are. is what you were thinking, then repent. Because such a way of thinking is sin. It's religion. It has no place within the gospel. Do you know, if you feel you have to write to us, if you feel you have to come to a meeting, if you feel you have to be at the prayer meeting, please don't. If you If you do come to meetings, the prayer meeting or whatever, or get involved in something in church life because you think it will impress us, or because you think, uh, you know, you might get invited even into the 72, uh, or or it'll impress God, don't bother. Because God sees through it. And, And to be honest, we'll probably see through it as well. But as your elders, we pray that you will want to. We pray that God will captivate your hearts and minds with his glorious love. That you will be thrilled that we are fully accepted and forgiven by God. That we've now got the privilege of joining together with God's beloved people, the church, with full rights as sons and daughters. That we've got full access into his throne room. That God, the heavenly father, the creator of heaven and earth, will hear our prayers. He will delight to answer them. That we can join together with other believers in the church, and seek him together, even if it might be on a slightly inconvenient night. But it doesn't matter, because we we can come to God. And that actually, even though God doesn't need our help in any way, he he, he draws us close to him, he gives us the honour of being used by him to see others come to know this wonderful love as well. That's what we're praying, that everyone in the church will come to see. That this is a wonderful, glorious gospel. This is what Jesus died for. It's beautiful. And religion is so ugly. It's ugly. Let me finish with a plea to you. Something that I've kind of said already, but I want to reiterate it. If you do not know God today, if you are what the Bible says we all are, If you're a sinner, you've been born in sin, apart from Jesus. If you've not called on God for mercy, if you've not received his forgiveness, I urge you today to repent and to receive the best gift you could ever receive at Christmas time or any time. The gift of righteousness and the gift of new life and the joy that that brings. The good news that the angel announced to the shepherds. That's for all people. You can do that today. And if you are religious, if today you might have even started out understanding and and celebrating in the gospel. You know, I'm not saying that you've never known God. But if you're religious today and life has become about rules and oughts and shoulds and doing the right thing, and and impressing people, then I urge you today to repent too of your religiosity 
and to embrace the glorious gospel that Jesus brings. Because God has come to bring us freedom and life and joy and a delight to worship him and not religion. Let's pray.